there'll be music, and uh, <laughs> you ready? I am. Oh, okay. Joel's leaving, and uh, let's just count down. One, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman, and today's guest is Rosemary Gadam Gordon. And I suppose you could call her a visionary of sorts. Since many years ago, she had, and, and for many years, she's been devoted, a devoted educator and practitioner in the field of holistic eye care and vision training. Rosemary Gadam Gordon has been helping people to see more easily since 1968 when she qualified from, um, from Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, England with a diploma in orthoptics. And that is a, a person who works with ophthalmologists to teach people how to improve the coordination of the two eyes. In 1973, she was introduced to the Bates Method while practicing as an or, or, orthop, or, orthopist. Whoa. So it's a good one. Say three times fast, right? <laughs> and teaching Hatha Yoga in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, and the Bates Method, for, for some of you who might know, is uh, not know. It's an alternate therapy aimed at improving eyesight. And in 1981, she received a master's degree in vision therapy from Les Leslie College in, in Massachusetts, where she studied gestalt psychotherapy and vision. Then, in 1985, Rosemary collaborated in the development of a workshop for people who work on computers to help relieve their eye and back strain. And she's a member of the Association of Vision Educators, a founding member of the Faculty for the Vision Educator Training Institute. She's been a guest on many TV and radio shows. Her work has been discussed in several print media, and we are very pleased and happy to have her here with us today by phone to talk with about natural eye care and holistic vision. So welcome to Healthy Options, Rosemary Ganim Gordon. Thank well, you. thank you very much, Rhonda. Thank you so much for being here. So um, I guess we could start right at the beginning, uh, a little bit of an overview. What, what is vision therapy and, and why, would, why would we want to do something like that? Well, it's for teaching the eyes or rather teaching the mind to coordinate the eyes and to relax so that we can see more clearly and more easily because we're not interfering with the system. So you see, we see with the mind, and the eyes are more like windows. They need to be clean, but they, um, they relax when the mind relaxes, and they focus where the mind is focused. And so it's about learning how to coordinate both the eyes and the mind. So what you're saying, talk about the mind a little bit more. What, are you talking about the vision center in the brain? Is that that's really where it's all happening? And then the, the, the actual eyes themselves are a tool, would you say? Kind of, but you can take it bigger than that. Because, of course, when we're afraid, our pupils dilate. Ah. And when we relax, our pupils contract. So right there, there's the... The emotional component, also when you um, think about, when we think about eyes, I mean, Shakespeare said they're the gateway to the soul. Hmm. So when we have eye contact with someone, we get an emotional, we can receive an emotional charge. So just as emotionally we can put out information, visually we just need to receive it. And, and, and there are ways that we are not using our eyes well, or what, 
you know, we know so many people who are wearing glasses and are nearsighted and have various vision issues. Is this something that uh, vision therapy uh, deals with? Or Yes, and in fact, actually, um, I got the degree in vision therapy, but since then, we need to talk about ourselves as educators mm-hmm. because um, the optometric profession has vision therapists, and they're not quite the same as us. We're vision educators, so we just need to keep that clear just from the legal point of view. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's a little detail, but um, okay. no. yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about what uh, what you do. If someone comes in, why would someone come to see you? What's they usually come to see me because they're not seeing as well as they think they should, or that they might, or that they keep going to the optometrist or ophthalmologist, and they keep getting stronger and stronger lenses, and um, they're being offered LASIK or you know a stronger prescription. And they call me up and say, I don't think this is quite right. I don't want to go in this route. What can you do to help me? And so um, what I do to help them is, first of all, we teach the whole system to relax. And then once there's relaxation happening and we know how to relax the visual system and the mind, then we can start learning new ways to use our eyes that are much more... Uh, efficient and um, effortless so that we don't strain. And then the system heals itself. There's this very interesting study that was done in the 1920s. We um, came out in the 1920s, but it was all about the young men going to war, and they um, checked every, you know, thousands of pairs of eyes. And they found that the general population, their vision kind of was all around the 2020 area. Whereas when babies are born, it's more like a bell curve. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So it kind of indicates that something within us wants to see clearly. And, and then what would you say, that we get into bad habits? Or what, what happens that would make, that interrupt that natural flow? flow? Yeah, um, yes, bad habits. Um, that's mostly what it is, actually. Or, um, yeah, that's about what it is. It's, so the child who loves to read, like this, they're perfectly happy and they just absolutely adore reading, and so they sit and read all day, say, in their room or something like that, and no one tells them, you need to change your focus and look in the distance every five to ten minutes. And if you do that, then you'll be fine as long as you spend time outdoors. So there's two factors. There's the light factor, which came out in a new study in the last five years, and they found that with children's vision, it wasn't whether they played sports or whether they um, sat and read a book or did crafts. It was how much, how many hours they spent outdoors. Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, you know, from any of the work I've done and, and have read about. Um, education in, in the brain, what we know is that the most important classes are recess, um, music, and art. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's uh, falling right in the, uh, the same, the same uh, thinking and, and yes. research patterns that, in fact, we need to be outside and what's happening when we're outside and in, in terms of 
relaxation or exercise or... I, I, and the quality of light, it seems to be. The light. Yes, yeah, so that if you have a bookworm for a child, send them outside to read. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think about sunglasses and things uh, like that? Yes, well, sunglasses. When I first started teaching the Bates Method, I used to teach that um, you didn't need sunglasses at all. But I've since changed my mind because the ozone layer has really radically shifted in my lifetime, and there is much more UV getting to us than there used to be. So what I say now is um, the first premise is don't strain. I mean, that's the first premise of the whole Bates method, the whole way we teach. If you're straining, then you need some help or you need to Stop doing what you're doing if you feel eye strain. So if you've got eye strain, then you need to wear a pair of sunglasses if you're, you know, squinting in the sunlight. Mm -hmm. And those sunglasses need to be not super dark, but um, pale so that your pupil can still get small and they need to be fully uh, protected. You know, they need to be a full UV protection for you. Because if you wear dark lenses and you don't have the protection, then actually you're worse off than if you, were, you, know, you went outside and your pupil just got small. Because more UV can get in when you have a dilated pupil oh. and no protection. Oh, I see. Isn't that interesting? That is, it's a whole new way of looking at, at sunglasses. And so that would be for children and for adults, certainly. Right. And in the summertime... Um, I reckon that if people are going to spend, you know, a day at the beach, then wear some protection between like 10.30 and 4 o'clock or 11 to 3, something like that when the sun is high and hot and it's not going through the um, as much atmospheric interference. And, um, and then in the winter, if you go out and there's, sunlight on fresh snow or just mm-hmm. even on snow, actually there's more UV yes. um, being, because it gets reflect, 87% of it gets reflected up mm. into the eyes. Mm. Yeah. So, and obviously, and people should make sure that they are getting actual UV protect, protection. There are many cheap sunglasses that don't have that. So. That's right, and, and they're worse. Yes. They're worse. They're, yeah. So you got it. So pay 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 <laughs> attention to that, everyone who's out there. When you're buying your whatever you have in your hand now, make sure it's really has the uh, proper UV protection. Right. So we have a culture, I would say, in our Western culture, where it is very there is a lot of stress, and for young people and for for adults in terms of production and how we live our lives. When you talk about relaxing the eyes. How how do we approach that? Are you? I mean, what what we know about meditation, we know about exercise. What is what is it specifically for the eyes that you would talk about? Okay, so um, first, just to repeat that habit of when you're looking at one distance for a long period of time, even if it's driving, like truck drivers, they need to keep looking back at the odometer or mm. back at their wristwatch or something, so that they. You know, just for 10 seconds, just to refocus, and then you go back out to the distance that you were at before. If you're reading a book, if you're on the computer, if you're doing a lot of chopping of vegetables or transplanting little tiny seedlings, look up 
and focus in the distance every five to 10 minutes. So the distance is 20 feet or more. That's where it's said that um, the eyes are in a more relaxed state. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to blink frequently. Ah, blinking. Yeah. So we want to blink about, the average blink the last time I looked it up was every seven seconds. And so that includes the people who barely blink at all. So mm. I, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I reckon we should blink about every five seconds on average. Oh, and most of the time we're doing this unconsciously, no? That's right. And yes, so, no. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Hopefully we don't want to <laughs> spend our consciousness on blinking. But to start with, for the people who don't blink very much, they need to, to pay attention to it. I, re- I remember when I started to um, heal my vision, I, uh, I was embarrassed to blink. I, I just thought, mm. oh, no, that's too much. And, oh, they'll think I'm weird if I blink that much. And, and I was shy about it. And then I just, I was at a gas station, and I was filling up my, my car with gas, and I thought, okay, I'm going to practice blinking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, so I did, and I, I felt like such an idiot, but I realized no one was paying any attention to me at all, and whether I was blinking no, no, or no. not, you know? Right. And I have to just say that there are a number of people listening to the show here in the studio, and everyone is now really practicing their blinking. <laughs> and it's pretty cool going what's going on around here. Everyone's moistening their eyes. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, is that for stress release or for moisture? Cause, or, or all of that? Or? It's all of that. Because when we get stressed, you, I wish you could see me. Because if you think about stress, you know, you kind of take in a breath, your eyes widen, stop, well, you stop breathing, and mm. the pupils go big. Right? Mm. And in fact, the um, eyelids get retracted. They get pulled back. So we get very kind of bug-eyed. If we get, so if we, that's an extreme. But that's the pattern. So that to, in order to blink, we have to relax. Like I teach, um, teach people to put, their, put a finger on the bone, um, just on the outside of the orbit, like near the temple, mm-hmm. and then to blink a few times and see if they can feel any pulling Oh yeah, under the finger. We're all doing that. Okay. <laughs> and if you're driving, pull over. Right. Especially if you're putting both hands, okay. Yeah, don't do that. That's a gallbladder point. Gall- uh, it is. And the, on the right. meridians, so yes. That helps too. Yes. And so you put it very lightly, and then if you're feeling a little tugging of that muscle underneath your fingertip, that indicates that your blink is too tight. Uh-oh. Right, because that muscle um, is to kind of protect us from flying objects, whereas the muscle for blinking sits on top of the eyeball and just lets the lid fall down, picks it up, lets it fall down. So it's it's more kind of languid. It's more um, just a letting it fall. And so usually if someone has tight blinks, and I certainly did, Uh then I used to sit there with my fingers... um, on my temples there, and just practice. And with an exhalation, I could just let my eyelids fall down and then pick them up and then let them fall mm. down, just like a yoga Yes, I'm already finding that that's improvement. And Good. We'll get some feedback from people later. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, I think I'm falling asleep, but I have to wake <laughs> up now because we're on the radio. Right. Wow, very nice. Yeah. So that's instant feedback. So that's instant feedback, exactly. 
And it feels so good to blink softly. Yeah. Yeah. Should one be massaging around the eyes? or You can do. You can also tap all along. You get all those acupuncture points. Yep. Tap along the bony edge there. That's a really good thing. If you're actually going to touch your eyelid, you want to do it extremely softly. Oh, so no really deep. No. So that what people do with, with if they have allergies or something and they're rubbing their eyes, oh. that's a terrible thing. Well, it, lo- it just it makes me squeamish. I have to look away. Because <laughs> that little noise. And stuff. <laughs> it's just too, it's, it's too harsh. It's, it's, it is. It is, and I understand. So then we need to teach them to pinch the bridge of their nose, right, and get bladder one. There you go. There you go. Well, that's right at the uh, the inner edge of the eyebrows, right, right by the uh, bridge the, of the, the nose. Yes, right, and the top there. That's bladder one, and so that's that's a good way to uh, relax the eyes as well. It is, and funnily enough, I t- I call it the one that people do in meetings. That's right. You know, because it kind of focuses. Uh, you're giving on. me a headache. I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> when do I get to that's go ex- home? That's exactly right. Which all right. Yeah, so, right, there's just so much to do before a meeting, then we can do eye exercises, we can do meditation. <laughs> That's right, and you can sit there and practice your blinks, too, very surreptitiously. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I think we have uh, corporate health right here. That's right. And and computers uh, are, are what must be uh, quite a, a challenge that in terms of adding to the modern idea of stress and overuse. That's right. Yes, absolutely. And so many people who are in cubicles where it's hard to get a 20-foot view. And then if you look over the top of your cubicle, all you can see is the boring old ceiling with those tiles, you know. Right. So um, I suggest that people, if, they, if they're if they in um, innovative offices, then I suggest that they get mobiles and they hang them. Ah. So that there's something interesting to look at. Because since we're talking about the mind... You know, if the eyes are, or if the mind gets bored, and as Dr. Bates said, one of the first causes of, of uh, nearsightedness is frequently boredom. And it's those bright kids who are kind of like, they got the point, you know, of um, five times five about 20 minutes ago. And so they're kind of, they're staring. And this it's this staring that is, um, that is often one of the biggest causes of eye problems. It's like we park our eyes and then our mind leaves. Hmm. And so, so the blinking helps to break that up. It's one of the things. So, so to de-stress the eyes, we want to not stare. So blinking, um, moving the eyes, different object, you know, far away, close, yep. doing that. Yep. So those kids who are staring out the window... Or maybe not. Maybe they're onto something, right? <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. It's like the good kid and the bad kid who get glasses at the same time, and the bad kid says, oh, I'm not going to do this, and they lose them, right. and their vision recovers. And then the good kid wears the glasses dutifully, and their vision gets worse. That's right. It's, I hear it over and over. It's, That's Yes. It's very sad. Well, I do know um, that uh, I do remember doing some eye training in, in New York with uh, a doctor ah. from the um, 
Dr. Kavner from the Ludlum, Dr. Ludlum School of, of Eye Education. And I was sitting uh, surrounded in these big rooms with all these different pieces of equipment yes. with uh, about five-year-olds and eight-year-olds and then yeah. me. And then, you know, some more nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds. So I was... Uh, a little bit, and and there was a lot of ideas about convergence, about working the eyes to make things come together and open up. Is that something that you do as well? Or? Yes, it is. Tell it, me about that. Okay, so um, so it's about fusion, actually. Just to back it off, it's about getting both eyes to work together, and that fusion happens in the mind. Um, it's it happens when both eyes are looking at the same thing at the same time. So. Um, it develops as the child develops. So a little baby, an infant, doesn't have fusion. Their eyes move independently, and they kind of look all over the place. And then gradually, they get this fusion, and their eyes start to work together. And then they start tracking, you know, following mother around the room. And then when mother gets close, or whomever it is, they, um, they start crossing their eyes, and then they watch the caregiver go further away and come closer and go further away, come closer. And so they're developing a fusion range and their convergence and their divergence. So these are techniques that you're using to improve vision. So actually crossing your eyes, is, is are those different techniques that you use? And what kind of tools would you use? I'm, I'm, I seem to remember, you know, strings with... Uh, beads. And beads or yeah, we use buttons that. on them and... Yep. And so what, what's the purpose of something like that? It's to get the eye's mind to move smoothly and easily off to the distance and back in close and off to the distance and back in close. And we were talking a little bit about, ago about what happens to children's vision or what happens to us that we suddenly don't see so well. And there's, there's the straining part, right, the stress yes. part. There's also this other part, which is also under the category of stress, but it's as we develop, if um, during the period of time when we're supposed to be developing convergence, say, bring, being able to cross our eyes, right, follow a finger up to our nose and then take it away again, um, if we, say, got the measles, you know, in the old days we'd get the measles, so these days maybe we get, I don't know what the kids get, they get the croup or something, right. and... Um, so then during that period, the body is fighting off an illness rather than doing the developmental stage that it would otherwise be doing. And if it was severe enough, it might really interrupt the development of the fusion or the convergence or divergence. Or the, it may not be terribly severe that it shows up right away, but it might show up when the system is under stress, say someone is you know, 25, and suddenly they're in front of a computer screen eight hours a day. And that piece of development isn't strong enough to really withstand the stress of having to look at something up close for that long a period. And so then they, you know, go to a vision therapist like, um, or someone like Dr. Kavna, or to someone like me, and we teach them what they need to do in order to catch up and strengthen that piece that they didn't develop at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And all of that, then you start to see, do you see people having less comprehension if they're missing some of those 
ideas. How does that translate? Is that yes. in terms of learning or? It definitely translates into learning because the person can't uh, say they can't track. So tracking is when you put your say you put your finger out and you move it from side to side and you follow it with your eyes mind, right? And you go up and down, you circle around, and then if that is a jerky motion, if you're watching them do that and you can see jerk, 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 rather than something really smooth, then you know that their tracking ability isn't really strong. So when they're reading, they might well skip a line or skip words. Or um, they, Some people talk about how they get to the end of the line and then their eyes kind of go off into the room and then they can't find the next line. Uh-huh. And they use tricks like, you know, they use their finger to go down the page. But so what we want to do is to teach them how to track so that they can read comfortably without having to have their finger. Because those kinds of people often don't get to read. They're not comfortable reading. And the same with convergence. If someone hasn't developed strong convergence, then they're picking up the book and the book goes double. The print goes double or their eyes strain because it's too much effort. And, and so this, the kind of techniques that you're talking about can help, can help with that. That's right. Let me just say, for people who've just tuned in, you're tuned to Community Radio, WERU. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today on Healthy Options is Rosemary Gadam-Gordon. And we're speaking about eye health, vision training, and her holistic approach to vision care. So, um, so we're, now we're seeing how having this kind of strain or missing a part of a developmental aspect of our vision can affect our learning and uh, and how we are in the world. What, what, what else should we be looking at that would be beneficial, that could improve by vision therapy? Um, headaches and oh. eye strain. So one of the um, main techniques that we use is something called palming. And it's, um, it's one of the things that Dr. Kavna probably doesn't incorporate into his, his training. Um, but it's this piece that the Bates method offers that is extraordinarily helpful. Mm. So to palm your eyes, you find something to rest your elbows on, like um, a desk or pillows or something like that. Or you can lie down on the floor and, and uh, do it that way. So what you're going to do is you cup your hands and you cross your fingers over, like just one hand, fingers in front of the other, and then you're going to put the heel of one hand onto your cheekbone, your lower cheek, your cheekbone, so the lower orbit, orbital rim, and you have both hands now covering your eyes, and your eyes are closed, and your hands are not touching your eyes, and then we know that the visual system is going to relax because it doesn't respond to black, right? Because it gets nice and dark do, in there. Do you have your eyes open or closed while closed. you're doing this? Closed. Yeah, closed. Eyes. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so then it's just a question of relaxing the mind. And so it might be that you just pay attention to your breath while you rest in the black or you remember some lovely day you had this summer at the beach or in the mountains or something. 
You kind of take yourself back there using all your senses so that you do it until you get this sense of your body just going, ah, no, your nervous system is just relaxing. And when you've done it for a while, you can actually feel your eyes just going, ah, you can sense it in the muscles in and around your eyes. Well, we're totally collapsing here in the studio. <laughs> There's, there are like puddles of, of people. I wish I was there. I, you really? I wish you were here, too. And I hope people are not thinking they're doing this while they're driving. I just have to keep saying this since yeah, this okay. is a morning radio show. Right. right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. All right. So that's palming. And that's really helpful for all kinds of things. Because if, say, you remember the beads on the string exercise we were talking about? Yes, we could talk about that. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, the, you got a, a, a string that's about 10 feet long. It's got three beads on it. And um, so if you can't do the thing that you're supposed to do on the beads... With it's the it's attached to something on the other end. Oh, sorry, so, yes, yes, it is a doorknob or something like that. Right. And then you've got the, the other end uh, on your finger, on the end of your nose. And you space out the beads, and then you say you look at the middle bead, and if you don't see the one middle bead and two of the others and the, and the string Xing, then something is happening in the system that isn't, um, you know, it's not working the way it's supposed to. One eye is switched off or the, the, the mind eyes don't know how to focus or they're focusing in front of inst- instead of right on the thing that the mind thinks it's focusing on. It's a wonderful technique because you, you get the instant feedback about whether or not your mind and eyes are in sync. Because to go back to staring, the problem with staring is, yes, you might say, well, I'm relaxing my eyes, I'm looking at the trees, but the thing is the mind has gone to Hawaii or whatever it is that, you know, (laughs) is pleasant for you. I I love Hawaii. Okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the trees have gone out of focus. Right. Right. So we get into this habit of letting our eyes go out of focus, and then we forget how to refocus it. I remember doing it. I was in elementary school, and um, the teacher used to read us a story. I think it was like every Friday afternoon we got to get another chapter of this adventure, whatever it was. And I would sit there and just let her go fuzzy as I visualized all the things, you know, where I can't remember where where she was taking us, but I was visualizing the story, and I kept my eyes open. Now, if only I'd closed my eyes. Hmm then my eyesight might have not been bothered. But as it was, I'd let her go blurry, and I'd notice she was blurry, but I didn't care. I was so busy visualizing whatever it was that she was talking about. And then after a while, I forgot how to clear her up. Oh. Yeah. So So interesting. So anyway, if you're doing the beads on the string, you can visualize the, the way your eyes are supposed to be working so that when someone palms, if they don't see well in the distance... They can imagine seeing well in the distance. And I'm sure you've had people on your show that have talked about the powers of visualization. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you are talking about that. You're having an image in your mind of, of clarity or acuity yes. or... That's right. Or of yes. the beads doing what they're supposed to do. Right. Right? And then you, you, you have your eyes closed and you're imagining this and then you open them and blink a few times, and after you do that for a little while, often it'll just pop right in. Because 
you know, it's all about neurons and, and neural connections. And when we get into bad habits, the, the neurons that we of the bad habits just get this major highway between them. And what we're wanting to do is shift that highway and have it go between two neurons that will give you clarity. So we're talking about, uh, uh, in terms of actual, what we, what we do when we're seeing, we're, we're looking at things. Now we're talking about the sharpness, the visual sharpness of an, ig- of, of an image. And then we're talking about the images coming together. And, and, right. Yes, and, and being able to have that, that ability to hold a focus, would you say? Yes. Yeah. And then what about eye movement? You were talking a little bit about that, about going around, you know, dis- right. is that the same as the distance and, and near, or that's a different kind of idea? What, what should it's we be doing? It's a different do- thing. It's, okay, so um, we see because the eyes keep moving at microscopic levels. So we call them microsaccadic eye movements. And um, all the sensory systems of our bodies are like this, so that, you know, you go to the movies and you're holding hands with someone, right? And, and you're sitting there and you're holding hands, and then 10 minutes into the movie, my experience is, well, am I still holding hands with <laughs> <laughs> Right. Because you can't feel it anymore. But if, if I move even a fraction of a millimeter, all the sensory systems just wake up. Uh-huh. Right? Yes. Yeah, on both parties. So um, the eyes are the same way. If we stare at something, everything kind of slows down and, and um, the muscles get kind of fixed and more stiff, and that movement slows down, so then we don't have clarity. And then, so what we need in order to get the clarity is to allow those movements we need to let the eyes be free to move the way they're supposed to move and not interfere with the natural ability of the eyes to move and to see well. So this idea of movement is, is kind of an extraordinary because, I, I, again, I think a lot of us think that the eye, we're just looking at something but not recognizing that the eyes need to move, that we need to make that move to keep, the, uh, to keep things healthy. That's right. And... Hopefully, this movement is unconscious. I mean, in fact, right. you, can, you can consciously look from one thing to another, and it's called a saccadic eye movement. But these micro-saccades, all we can do is get out of the way. Right. Right. And so if you're looking at something, like if you, I'm looking at a leaf right now, and I just relax and I let the, Im- the light from the leaf come to me, then my, what I notice is I'm looking at all the different parts of the leaf. Mm-hmm. My, right? Do you see yes, that? Yes, I do. Yeah. And you're also, uh, if we can get very cosmic, you're also relaxing the, the, the consciousness so much that you're also doing a huge awareness practice of really seeing everything. That's right. That's right. And did you, I don't know if you noticed, I have no idea anything about your vision, but um, while we look at the, we're focused on the leaf, but it's important to also notice that there's a whole room and trees yes. outside. And, yes. Is so, that what you mean? Yes, exactly. Yes, so you're exactly. getting the whole peripheral, you're getting your peripheral vision move as well. So you're yes. looking at the, the close leaf, but you're also noticing that, that there's a sky and that there's another tree next to it or a rose bush or whatever. Yes, yes. that's right. Exactly. And, and the same thing with if you're studying, 
you, you see the words on the page, but then there's a, also a larger idea of, uh, of, or not even an idea, just a, a reality of that there are, you're at a desk or your hands are there or something along those lines. That's right. And it's really important to keep that peripheral vision open. So to go back to the person sitting with their computer in a, in a cubicle, mm-hmm. one of the things I suggest is that they get a mirror to put behind or to the side of their monitor for two things. One, to expand their peripheral vision. And two, so they can see if somebody comes into their cubicle. Right, which is much feng safer. Fun, good much. feng shui, yes. Very good feng shui. You don't feel like your nervous system is totally unconsciously charged with, you know, hypervigilant what's happening behind me. That's right. Mm-hmm. But so this, this having the mirrors just really expands the view. I mean, people are allowed to decorate their cubes usually, you know, and they'd have pictures and stuff like that. But after a while, we forget that they're there. You know, we get bored again. The mind gets bored. Hmm. And so if we have a mirror, it's always changing, and you get a sense of depth. So whatever is behind you, you know, you see that far in front of you, and it'll give you more of a sense of living in a 3D world, because that's one of the other problems about a computer screen is it's, it's just two-dimensional. Yes. Like books, right. And we need that 3D. Mm. So what else can we do? Um, and uh, we're getting outside, you're saying, is good. What, what about nutrition or um, yeah. those kinds of things? What else should we be looking at in terms of eye health? Right. So the eyes are part of the body. So we're talking about, you know, with the rest of the body, you want a good diet, you want to exercise, and you want to sleep, right? You want sleep. Fun- right, sleep. <laughs> sleep and vision is huge. When people don't get enough sleep, often their, uh, their eyesight is affected. Really? We, one doesn't think about it that way, but tell no. me more. No, but that's the benefit of palming, of course, because it's like a mini sleep. Yes. Yes. And um, so that's that part. So then there are many other ways to rest your eyes that we teach. But that's a, a main one. Then the diet part, um, the best things for vision really are all the bright, colorful foods, the things that are high in antioxidants. So the dark green leafies and the uh, red peppers and the cantaloupes and the watermelons and yams and broccoli and all those kinds of things are particularly good for the health of the eyes. I mean, we need to also have a balance. We need to have all the B vitamins in order to have the, um, you know, the, the nerves be healthy and all that. And, um, but it's really the, the rest is about the, the, what would be generally healthy for the body. Oh, yeah, the other thing is the omega, the omega fats, the fish oils. Fish oils. Fish oils, yes. A lot of people have dry eyes, especially yes. if they age. That, that was another question. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Tell me, what what does that have to do with hydration, or is it an actual physical change in the in the structure of the eye? It's um, it's related to a reduction in estrogen production. So it often happens to women postmenopausally. Um, it ha- does have to do with hydration, but it's also uh, and it has to do with blinking, of course how much someone is blinking. But the, um, the tears of the eye, there are two layers of oil 
with um with a layer like a sandwich in the middle of just the tears, the salty tears. And so those oily things, the oily parts of the sandwich, if you like, um, need to be replenished and nourished. And those, the, the omega fatty acids are the things that really help with that. Um, flaxseed oil can also help um, hugely. And when people have it very, very severely, you can put um, different things work for different people, actually. Uh, but we want to keep the eyes, the front of the eye, really moist. We don't want a buildup of um, kind of crud or toxins from the environment. You know, the blink, besides being restful, is also cleaning the eye right. and, and getting um, dust and stuff out of there. And if there aren't enough blinks and if there isn't enough moisture, then other, you know, you can get conjunctivitis or blepharitis and things like that hmm. that are much harder to get rid of than one might think. So um, eating the, taking the oils or, um, you know, drinking a little cod liver oil every day, however you want to do it, is enormously helpful, if not essential, for the health of the eyes. So sleep, uh, antioxidants, yep. omega-3s. Yep, um, the bees. The bees. We hear of things about lutein. What are, what are those? People. Lutein is in the is an antioxidant. It's in the oh. dark green leafies. It's in uh-huh. lutein. I think it means yellow in lutea ah. in Latin, and it's um, it's those vegetables that when you don't eat them, they turn yellow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And I yeah. can't remember if it's the lutein that's left or the lutein that's gone. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So broccoli, kale, collards, all those, all things. those things, exactly. Arugula. Yeah. Arugula, yum. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> it does. And and what I've heard of, uh, z, uh, what is it, zeaxanthin? Zeaxanthin. Zeaxanthin. What is that? Golly. What? I said golly. Oh, golly! I, I, I put. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. We'll <laughs> have to look it. that up. We have to. I have to look that up. Okay, but it's yeah, another but it one. Is, no, it is another one, and it. But it's in those foods. Um, Oh, it's necessary, right, for the absorption of lutein. That's exactly That's right. That's what it is. That's and, it. Yeah, so um, if you're eating the collards and the broccoli, then you're going to get both. Because uh, it's right in there. It's right and, in there. And if that isn't happening, what, I've heard the word drusen. Is that something you work with as well? Or oh, you, my. Yes. Yeah. Um, drusen is the exudate or the, um, the little crusty stuff that ends up on the retina when there's macular degeneration. Huh. And the problem is that um, when in macular degeneration, it seems to be a disease of lack of energy, nutrients getting to the retina. And um, so that the um, this drusen, it's kind of like the garbage. It was mm-hmm. described to me as the garbage, and the garbage collectors don't have enough energy to pick it up. And so it, it just gets stacked there, and then it blocks vision. And then if it's there long enough, it kills the cell. Uh-huh. And their macro, macular degeneration, and a lot of the things that we're talking about can help with this. Yes, they I can. I would say that all, this, all the, the uh, activities we've, we've done in the last 30 minutes of, uh, of palming and, and touching the sides of uh, the temples and all of that are, are good techniques possibly to help... Um, 
to help prevent some of these things, would you say? I, I do. I would say because you're enhancing the health of the eye. You're promoting more circulation because when you palm, right, you've got all that heat that builds up and the energy from your palm that goes into your eyes. And um, when you tap the outer... The tapping, right? Yeah, the tapping around the orbital rim, that brings the chi, the mm-hmm. energy to the eyes. And there are, um, as I know you know, specific points for macular degeneration and for the other eye diseases that are particularly helpful. Um, and people can go... For, acupuncture is re- very helpful in these diseases. Um, and I teach acupressure of these points. Perfect. Um, so, yes, if you, and if your eyes are not working well, like if you're not using the Brock string well, um, and you're, so you're straining, then you're tightening up the muscles and then less circulation gets through. So, right? yes, so, and that's an actual physical impediment to the actual the tools that we have, you know, our, our eyeballs and our retina and, our, and all of that. Um, and so we have to work on that level as well as the mind, as well as the brain, the actual conne- vision connections. Right. So you, can, you, you work both the physical mm-hmm. and the mental. I mean, I have no idea, uh, Rhonda, if there's any data to support that people who don't have good fusion tend to get the eye diseases. I'm not sure that that's right. true. No. You know, it, that's been scientifically proven. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, I think it's really important. Yeah, yes. we got to be mm-hmm. sure of what we're saying. Oh, yes. Um, no, never a, never a, a, a sense of, uh, of someone's at, at fault or something for, uh, you know, no. for having an eye issue. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So, um, once again, you're listening to Healthy Options on Community Radio, WERU. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Our guest today is Rosemary Gottam-Gordon. And we're talking about holistic approaches to eye health and vision care. And um, let's get back to some of the other aspects of, of keeping healthy vision. Now, on, I, I, I do want you to give us your websites and how people can get more information. And, and t- maybe you could tell us that now. Um, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's www.visioneducators.com. Visioneducators.com. And if you're in another part of the country... Um, there is the visioneducators.org that is the national association. So there may be someone near you who does it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of information on my website if anyone's interested. Oh, it's, it's, it's terrific, and I'm using a lot of it right now to, to discuss things with you. And you talk a lot about, uh, there's a whole list that you say about the visual skills which a uh, healthy vital system maintains. Uh, and, and we're talking about, you also talk about hand, eye, and body coordination. And I, I wanted to talk about that for a moment because uh, sometimes we talk about hand-eye coordination, but not so much about it in terms of visual health somehow. I don't know why, but it's not the most obvious connection. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so just to back up, the, the saccades that we were talking about before, they're inborn, um, they're innate, they're unconditioned. Whereas following something, being able to track, is a learned skill. Mm. Now, people who, um, there are some families that don't play catch and ball games with their children. 
And so those children tend not to develop those kinds of skills. So that was the eye movement aspect that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, and just which the tracking, cool. yes. Right. The tracking and the catching and throwing a ball, right, being able to see it in space and being able to grab it and hold on to it. Yes. And if the eyes are not working well together, then that becomes extremely difficult. And those kids who have strabismus or they have trouble um, with their fusion, they're the ones, they come to see me and they say, well, you know, I say, well, how's how's your hand-eye coordination? And they say, well, I, I don't know. What do you mean? And then they, you know, it turns out that they were the kids who weren't picked to be on the team. Right. Right. Which is very sad. It is. And often it's, be- it's because no one told the families to play catch with their kids or to get them tennis lessons or, um, you know, go hit the ball against the side of the house. Or if you're in an apartment building, hang a ball from the ceiling and have the kid hit the ball with their hands um, and play games with them, just make up games. We have a lot of mm. it. It's called the Marsden ball. We use it a lot. And we also use, um, so you can get more and more complicated, right? So sure. you get a balance beam. And you put oh, that right. on the gra- You remember that from Kavner's office? Sure. Yeah. And then you, stand, you balance on the balance beam and you, you're hitting the ball. So that really develops all these uh, neural connections so that you have much better hand-eye whole body um, coordination. It, right. Yeah, it's great. It makes such a difference. Does this affect your muscles as well in other parts of your body with that? Or yeah. Oh, yes, totally. How? how? Tell, well, tell me more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. We, we have about six minutes left or oh, so. so. Okay. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> so um, a lot of people use their eyes to tell them where they are in space. Right. And so if you ask them to close their eyes, they start wobbling. Yes. Yeah. And so they can sometimes, you know, do the stalk or stand on one leg with their eyes open. But then if you ask them to close their eyes or even to blink really slowly, they immediately fall over because they're not using those proprioceptive muscles and and whatever they're called, the, um, the little spindle fibers and things in their legs. Yes. Yeah. So that's a lot of um, responsibility for the eyes and not really, you know, of course you want to use your eyes to know where you are in space, but you need to be grounded as well. You need to know where your legs are. You need the support. And your eyes and your visual system also needs that support so that the eyes can relax more and take in the big picture. Well, I, I'm just sitting with that the that that idea about just how much our whole nervous system, our musculoskeletal system, and our cognition are just so tied up in uh, in whether our eyes and, and that visual aspect of our brain is working well. That's I, right. And this is a revelation to some. Yes, and, and you know that the um, the visual system takes. Um, a third of the blood supply uses a third of the blood supply that goes to the head. Ah. Right. It's huge. It is huge. And, and the other thing, we would, can we go back to visualizing? Of course we should. <laughs> I, I think we should. This is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the moving all around topic. Yeah, the moving, that's right. We have, we've moved we're, all we're, around. So um, 
tell me, yes. If you, if, you, um, if you look at something across the room, you can see it as a whole, or you can see all the different, follow all the different parts and let your eyes move around, correct? Right. Okay, if you let your eyes move all around, then you see it more clearly. Talked about that, right. right? Yes. And the rest of the room is not as clear. Right. Okay. So one of the difficulties um, is that people think that the whole room should be equally clear. Oh. Right. And if you have good vision, like if you have good vision, then you assume it's all clear. It's very interesting. If I go through this with, I have friends who have extremely good vision, and I point this out to them, and they take it takes them a while to notice that, oh, that's true. I never noticed because they just assume it's all clear. Mm-hmm. But if we try to keep it all clear, then we won't see it as well. So it's a question of letting that little point, our point of focus, which is actually where the fovea is, which is part of the macula, go back to the macula, mm-hmm. um, allowing it to move all over everything. And if you close your eyes and visualize, your mind's eye works in exactly the same way, which is so interesting. So I've had people who've come in and they're visualizers or they, so one person would, was a channeler mm. and she was getting terrible eye strain. <laughs> her <laughs> inner, she was working too hard on her inner eye. Kind of. She was staring with her inner eye. <laughs> yeah. That's terrific. And okay. once I taught her about that, she was relaxed and she was fine. So what if you're not a visual, you know, there are people who see in pictures, as we know, and, yep. and, and, but, and then there are people who hear things it's all, right. it's, or learn through their hands. So how does this translate as a visual? Are you, you're asking people to visualize. Yes. Um, I mean, some people, um, whether someone can never visualize or not, I, I don't know. And I'm just going to put that on the shelf. I know that there are people. Well, it's not a strong that. thing or they're not, no. that's not what they're focused on. That's say, right. As a learning yes. technique. So then if I have someone like that, then I go with sound or with the sense of touch. So with the sense of touch in particular, um, to get them, get their mind to move all over a tree then they imagine they have a, a paintbrush, an invisible paintbrush on the end of their nose, and then they brush the paintbrush all around the tree. Mm. And that gets the mind eyes to look all around and not get stuck. Now, I also encourage them to learn to visualize. Yes. I, I had to reteach myself. I, I could do it as a child, fine. And then when I, at uh, 27, when I discovered the Bates Method and I was learning it, I, I had forgotten how to do it. And so I have people, you know, find a simple picture and look at the picture for a while and brush around all the different things in the picture and then close their eyes and do it with their eyes closed. And first of all, all you get is the movement and some vague colors, perhaps, if you're lucky. And then you open and you do it again and you do it until you get it. Mm. You know, and for some people it takes a week, and other people it might take a few months. But in the meantime, you can tell yourself, oh, yeah, so there's a house there. Like, I, oh, yeah, that house, and then there's water. And so they're talking to themselves and using that auditory channel as well as the kinesthetic and then waiting for the visual to switch on. And that's a tool to relax the eyes? 
yeah, it relaxes the eyes. Because then you can remember how something looks, and then you're not... Because, in fact, mostly what they reckon, you know, if you look a name up in the phone book, we have a picture of what the name's supposed to look like. Right. And then we look for that. We're, we're, we're matching. Yes. And mostly what we do with seeing is we're matching. Like, I see an E at the top of the eye chart I'm looking at, and it matches what I, was, what I call an E, and so I say it's an E. Oh. And we're matching. And so that's why when people go to new places, like a lot of kids get nearsighted when they go to new schools. Oh. Or they move. Uh-huh. And because it's all new. And if we, what I found is if we can keep them out of the glasses and keep them, support them as much as possible in that, say, first year at a new high school, then they'll be all right. Ah. Well, so transitions are something to watch out for. That's and right. And, well, and I, I hate to say it, but we're going to have to make a transition out of the program Uh-oh. now. <laughs> so we're, we're watching. And, um, and, and so um, that, that's a, a really fascinating um, concept of, of transitions and the stress being um, an issue in terms of how, we, how our eyes work. Right. Right. And it goes back to it's really about the mind and then having good habits of seeing. So to learn more about good habits of seeing, please uh, get in touch with uh, Rosemary Gottam Gordon's uh, website, and that's www.visioneducators.com. Is there any other way to get a hold of you, or we can do it through, through that? Phone number, you know, 207-439-9821. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, four three nine nine eight two one. Did you say? Yes. Two zero seven. Yeah. And um, I just want to thank you so much for being here. Um, we have been talking today with Rosemary Gotham Gordon, a vision educator and vision therapist, and visionary, of course. And again, for more information, her website is www.visioneducators.com. Thank you so much, Rosemary Gotham Gordon. Gordon, haha, for being on the show. Um, and any of you who have missed any part of the show or would like to share it with others, it will be available in, in a little bit, uh, just a, a, a little bit later today or tomorrow probably, along with other previously recorded Healthy Options programs on the Public Affairs Archives on WERU's website. That's WERU.org. I want to thank Joel Mann for engineering and Petra Hall for production assistance. I'm Rhonda Feynman, your host for today's Healthy Options, and I'd like to thank you for listening and for supporting WERU Community Radio. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rhonda. Bye.